Hello, fellow griever. This is the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations podcast, and I am Melissa, your host. This week, you have found yourself with me for one of my shorter, solo, down-the-rabbit-hole episodes. Here, I take you with me on a journey of sorts, through thoughts in my own griefy mind. Some days, I may tackle topics as if I am in Alice's shoes, slaying the Jabberwocky, and on others, I may end up in my own pool of tears, or I may just go a bit sideways and paint the proverbial roses red, but I always promise an adventure. So let's dive down the rabbit hole and see just what sorts of madness we might discover together. I am glad you have joined me, because while I do know how lonely this grief is, I also believe we needn't be alone. Welcome. So, today we are in Season 4 and on Episode 2, and I'm calling this episode my carefully cultivated life. And this is something that has been on my mind and actually on my agenda to talk about for a while. I want to talk about how specifically my life functions because of how intentionally I have created the life that I now live. So in talking about suicide loss, and for me, that's the suicide loss of my 21-year-old son, Alex, in 2016, I often talk about the phases or the years that we go through. We know that there are not stages to grief in a traditional sense and that it's not linear, and I 100% agree with that. But I have come to find out, not only in my own journey, but in talking with and working with other lost survivors and especially working with other moms like myself, that there is a commonality to kind of how we move through some of our grief. And I talk about it a lot. And I kind of look at the first year as survival, the second year as hope, and the third year as being able to walk into some form of healing, at least starting that healing journey, because healing Healing is not linear either, and it's ongoing. But for me, that's how that's how it's played out. And so when you're in survival, that's really in that first year when grief is sharp and raw. And we really need to be in protection mode of our own self and our loved ones around us. And just doing exactly that, anything that we can to survive. When we start to move towards hope in the second year, um, I guess I want to make sure I explain that from what I've experienced and what I know, it isn't like the second year shows up and you feel hopeful in the beginning. Hope actually doesn't show up in the beginning of the second year for most people. The second year can be brutal. It can be more laborious. It can be hard meaning I know that the whole thing is hard, but when I talk about survival being sharp and raw, I would say some words to describe the second year would be 
um, brutal and hard. Um, it's the year that permanence really sets in and there's, it's just a different type of grief during that year. However, for me, I found that that was the year that by at least by the end of that year, I was starting to see glimmers of hope. The clouds were lifting, the the storm wasn't as, as um, raging, and I was starting to see glimmers of hope, which allowed me to step into healing by year three. And so what I'm talking about here with carefully cultivating my life I didn't do that in years one and two. I survived and then I had to go through the harshness and finding hope and believing and knowing that this was not going to consume me, that I could figure out how to survive it. But by the time I got into that third year and started my healing, some interesting things were taking place. I, at that point, um, knew that I was going to need to be very intentional about the life that I now have in front of me to live. And Griever, I'm going to tell you, those first few years were messy, really messy. That doesn't mean that there weren't things in there that were redeeming, but for the most part, all we're doing is surviving the first year. And I will echo what you hear a lot of professionals say, which is that you should not make any major life decisions, if at all possible, within the first year, and possibly, I would even add, maybe up to a year and a half. We just aren't equipped with the trauma that has occurred to our brain to be able to make the decisions with all of the right components in place that go into large major decisions. And I talk about things like quitting jobs, starting new jobs, selling homes, you know, all the things that people talk about being major life changes. We should avoid those if at all possible in that first year to 18 months. And if you're listening and you're within that early period of 12 to 18 months or less, I would just almost beg you to hold off until you get to a little bit farther in before you make any major decisions if you're contemplating any. Because it isn't like we ruined anything major, but we definitely made some decisions uh, early on, a couple of them that were major involving selling and buying companies that we should have just held off a little bit longer and saved ourselves a lot of heartache. It all worked out in the end, but that's one piece that I would definitely do different if I could. Now, most everything that I did from, you know, about the 18 month mark on, I feel like I wouldn't go back and say I wouldn't do that because it was about that time that we, we were kind of unraveling some of the mess we had made with the buying and selling of companies prematurely. And we had decided when the second, the company that we bought to replace the one that we sold was something we absolutely hated. And I say that and don't mean it lightly at all. I try not to use the word hate, but I remember only two months after opening the door of this insurance agency that we had bought, looking at my husband, who I could tell didn't like it either. And we hadn't yet 
I think we were just getting the other company sold because for a while we actually straddled owning two companies that we were running ourselves. But I remember the day I looked at him and said, I can't stand this. And it was only like said less than a few months after we opened the doors. I said, I I don't want to do this. And then I think I said something like, I actually won't do this. I'm not going to do something I hate for the rest of my life. So I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm, I know I was tear filled, tear filled and remorseful and felt horrible telling him, but I was definitive. And that is something that this loss brings to us is a crystal clear perspective at times. And that was like one of those first moments where I was crystal clear on the perspective of how short our life is and that we can't, we can't waste it. And yes, my son's death brought that about, but also so did the fact that my husband lost both of his parents when he was a young adult. I lost my father when I was a young adult over 25 years ago. My mother and I are not, don't have a relationship, but three out of our four parents are gone. And I had now lost my child and you just think I've made all these plans for someday. And in the course of deciding, I didn't, you know, telling him I didn't want to do the company. He agreed he didn't either. We had sold the other business and we're kind of sitting with, okay, now what? In the matter of a few discussions, we had literally clearly decided that what if someday doesn't come? What if we don't make it to retirement like our parents did it after all? There's no guarantees, right? So we decided that the right decision for us was to strip our life completely down to nothing and figure out what to do from there and what that looked like for us. And I, I, it's just what we did. It's our journey. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the right journey for everybody. Everybody has to do what makes sense for their life. But we at that point decided not only to sell the company that we had bought, we had just sold the other one, but to sell our four bedroom home and everything in it and buy a large motor home and travel. And we didn't have a definitive time frame. People asked us, how long are you going to do this? Because here we are hitting the road full time. And we and we're in our late 40s. We're not retired. We're not retirement age. And our answer was until we don't want to do it anymore. And the plan was to work remotely. Uh, Both of us had plans on what we were going to do with that. We had, you know, some money in the bank so that we could develop that as we went. And I literally was stripping my life down to as close to nothing as I could to figure out what now. And the reason that was something I had to do was because for me, I needed to be able to somehow figure out how the person I was now, which was not the person I used to be, was going to build a life that matched who I am and who I'm becoming. And the old me was gone. And so the the new shattered me, the new version of me that was growing from this devastation didn't match my old life. I, I, my old life included Alex and included 
my family being what it looked like with Alex in it, and I just couldn't make it match. So for us, this made sense. And we traveled in that motorhome for two years. The first year, my plan was, and so I spent the first year implementing it, was to basically um, bring back Melissa, the professional chef, and and I had I had retired from that a few years before to run my husband's company, and I was writing a cookbook and I was blogging and I was um, going to be teaching people that also traveled like us not only how to cook in these tiny kitchens, cook real meals and not go out all the time, but also to teach them to shop locally when they don't live locally. So as you're passing through communities, you don't have to rely on big box stores. You can still shop and eat local. So that was what I thought I was passionate about because that was my you know, life before I went into default mode. Well, as you can imagine, the moral of the story is I just said, I wasn't the person I used to be. So while I'm doing this, while I'm writing this cookbook and I'm doing all these things and going through the motions, I'm also running, you know, alongside myself and I have one foot in the grief field. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm working on myself. I'm starting to get into energy healing. I'm doing things to heal myself and I'm finding myself pulled to the healing field. I'm finding myself wanting to work with other grievers, wanting to, well, it ultimately started with a seed for this podcast. It started with the fact that I couldn't find the exact podcast that I needed. There wasn't one on suicide loss that I could find. There was a few out there that had started podcasts and never, you know, they've had a handful of episodes out there and that was it. And when the seed for this was was set in in me and then it started you know i started to cultivate it i realized that this was where my heart was that this was what i wanted to do was was work for and with other grieving parents and other people who had lost their loved ones to suicide and i remember very clearly the day that I looked at my husband and it wasn't unlike the day that I said, I hate insurance and I'm not going to do it. And so what are we going to do? But uh, it was that definitive, but in the other direction, instead of, I hate this, I didn't hate being a chef. I didn't hate that kind of stuff, but I just didn't have the passion for it anymore. But this was the reverse. I said, I need to do this. I need to do this podcast. I need to figure out how to become someone who can help people heal after loss from suicide. So, you know, I spent the first year surviving, the second year surviving the first year, you know, walking towards hope. And then in years three and four, I did start healing. I did find that I was planting seeds and starting to cultivate who I was going to become, starting to discover who I was now, starting to rebuild a life. We were on the road for two years, and when it naturally felt right to stop, we did. We're in Florida now, for now, and we have been back 
out of a movable home and in a regular home and chose a job that currently intentionally fits our goal of me spending as much time as possible working on the leftover pieces, which isn't now just this podcast. That's what it was at the time. But now it's the support community. Now it's the books and my new growth and grief series starts next month and there's more things planned. And so it has become what it is today with a lot of choice and intention because this new person that I am now would not have been able to thrive in my old life. And so I want to talk a little bit about how you start to do this. How do you start to carefully cultivate a life that your new self can fit into? And I by no means think that the way I did it is the only way. There's as many ways out there to recraft a life as there is losses and families. You know, for some people, it might not be selling your home. It might be changing your job. It might be changing hobbies or interests. It might be all sorts of things. I feel like these things come to us and take shape in our lives as we start to heal and find tools and discover who we are. So the way I would recommend somebody start this is Unfortunately, the first thing I have to say is that you just have to get through the first year of surviving by doing things like counseling and finding support groups, talking to people, finding tools within yourself, discovering what works for you to just survive, which tools help you feel a little bit better, which tools help you be able to sleep. And once you get to a point that you feel like you can see a glimmer of hope and you feel like you're ready to start a little bit of healing, one of the things I recommend is that you figure out how to understand this trauma Learn more about how trauma has affected your mind, body, and spirit. Because for me, I often say education was one of the things that freed me from my guilt the most, learning as much as I could about suicide, why it happens, and all of the things regarding suicidal minds. But then one of the things that has helped me grow the most is understanding trauma and understanding why I think differently than I did before, why I process things differently, why my bandwidth and memory are different. There's so much about me that for a while I just kept saying, but something's different. I'm not the same. And it was like a physiological cellular thing. It wasn't just that I'm grieving. And so understanding trauma gave me a lot of power to understand that I could learn to live in this new, new self, as long as I understood myself better. So it's about learning to live with your mind, body and spirit as they exist now, not the way they were before. And at that point, 
you can learn and figure out where you want to go from there. This is definitely a journey that we're on now. It's not a sprint. It's a long haul marathon. And we have to pace ourselves. I know that just like mine, your life has forever changed for the worst possible reason. And that now means you are forever changed. And you are now facing rebuilding a life, a life that you never wanted. And I know this is hard, but I know it's possible to grow from this and to learn to live alongside of this and even find meaning and happiness again. And if you haven't been to my website for a while, I would really like you to consider going there and looking at the books I've written, the tools that I provide, the resources that are there for all suicide loss survivors, the support group links if you're interested in that. I have new tools coming out in the next few weeks from the airing of this podcast. I have a new growth and grief series that specifically deals with trauma coming out starting in October of 2022. And I have a wait list open for the Moms on a Mission Mastermind, and you can read about that there as well. I hope you will take a look and find something that might help you in your journey. And I just want to end by saying I do know how very, very lonely this grief is. But I also know you don't have to do it alone. Talk soon. So we'll conclude here for today. But I just wanted to say a few things before you go. If you're new to the podcast and have not listened to the very first episode called Intro Episode Start Here, all the way back at the beginning of season one, I would encourage you to do so so that you know what to expect from the leftover pieces. Because I do have several different styles of episodes that I record and we do release weekly almost all of the time. So I hope that you will come back often to join us in this community of suicide loss survivors. If you have not already, also, I would encourage you to check out the leftoverpieces.com where you can find and have access to all of the things that I currently offer. Some of those things are online Zoom support groups, links to my books, educational opportunities that I'm adding all the time, as well as different downloadables and resources for all suicide loss survivors. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, or you'd just like to connect with me for any other reason, you can do it through the website as well. So until next time, I just want to remind you that I know how lonely this grief is, but you don't have to be alone. Talk soon.